1, Philippians chapter 1. We are delighted to see you here this morning, and uh, we offer a good morning to those of you sitting in front of us and those of you who are sitting in front of a computer or a TV or a phone or whatever, uh, viewing us by way of the internet. It's a great blessing to be able to meet together in the church house. Boy, I'll tell you, for a couple of weeks there, we found out what do people do when they don't go to church. I, I can't imagine doing that every Sunday. No, 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 no. Well, we're glad you're here. And uh, nothing can replace the blessing of being able to come together uh, in the church and to worship the Lord together. Now, I mentioned last week, I'll mention it again today. In order to keep you all as safe as possible from the COVID-19, we have some stringent guidelines that we need for you to follow. Number one, everyone's temperature has to be checked at the door. And uh, no one with a temperature of over 100.4 can be admitted. Face coverings must be worn at all times, so keep your mask on. Only the upstairs bathrooms are available over here, and that's because as soon as it's used, we have to sanitize it before the next use. And uh, they are available over here uh, if needed. Social distancing must be maintained at all times, six feet. Uh, we put those um, sticks, if you will, or pieces of PVC in your pew. That's for you to have an idea what six feet would be. Now listen, if there's a few inches of fudging on it, that's okay. It don't have to be hard and fast every inch, but that's to give you an idea of how far apart we really need to sit. And let's see, no offering plates are going to be passed. Uh, we put offering plates out on the table in the foyer, so you can put your offering there, or you can mail it in or drop it off. We've had people doing that. By the way, I want to thank the Lord for the folks who have been so faithful to pay the tithe and give the offering above the tithe, uh, mailing it in or dropping it off or understanding the church still goes on. And uh, thank you for being faithful. And let's see, um, social distancing, no hugs, no handshakes, no fist bumps, no elbow bumps, no nothing. <laughs> Amen. No personal contact. At the end of the service, we'll dismiss you by rows, and that's so we can have a proper dismissal. And when we do, please don't stand in the foyer and fellowship. All right, if you want to fellowship, go out on the parking lot, and uh, that will help us. Uh, please, if you're planning on coming uh, for a Sunday service, call and let us know because we have to assign seats to maintain our social distancing. So... I know it's a little inconvenient that you have to call and let people know I'm coming to church, but uh, we, we have to have it that way right now. Hopefully it won't be long, but for right now we need it that way. So just give us a ring and say, hey, I plan on being there on Sunday and we'll reserve a seat for you. Next Sunday, we will have the church open for Sunday school, Sunday morning service, and Sunday evening service. So next Sunday we're going to do all three services, all right? And then in light of that, we need the ladies who volunteered to help us clean after the services, uh, right after the service today, to meet with us right up here for just a few minutes, all right? If you would do that. You volunteered last week. You said, yeah, I'll help sanitize the church after the service. We need you to meet with us right here 
after the service. Uh, won't try, we'll try not to keep you long. Men who are cutting grass, I put the schedule out on the table in the foyer, and uh, we need you to get signed up. Uh, we've been having to kind of buttonhole people each week, but if you know when you can cut grass, put it down on the calendar so we can count on you. I do appreciate the fellas who have been coming and keeping the grass cut. They've been doing a great job. Thank the Lord for that. Prayer request, Solid Rock Baptist Church. They, uh, on, uh, I think, Monday of last week, they filed a lawsuit against the governor of New Jersey, uh, in essence saying that he's violating their rights as a church to me. Now, they're doing that because they, they've met now for two weeks. Each time they meet, Sunday morning, Sunday night, they get a citation for Pastor Clark Jr., which is the senior Clark, and uh, Pastor Charlie the Third, which is the son, they're co-pastors. So every service, the two of them are fined $1,000 apiece. They have to appear in court. At, well, they could be fined $1,000 apiece. Have to appear in court, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so the, they were planning on meeting today. That will be another time. So please pray for that church and, and this situation that the courts will find in favor of the Clarks. And uh, all they're wanting to do is have church. And they're observing everything we're observing, being stringent about all the, all the distancing and, and uh, going through all the hoops and jumping through the hoops like we're doing. And uh, still the governor wants to come down on them. And uh, he's just being hard-nosed is what he's doing. So just pray. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turn it whithersoever he will. And so just pray for the Clarks uh, in that situation. All right, we're over in Philippians chapter 1. Going to look at verses 18 through 30. Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 30. What then, notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart, and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your further, further, furtherance and joy of faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not, to only, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be 
in me. Father, please bless our time together in your word. Once again, I am thankful for folks who have come out to the church house. And Lord, uh, we, we, don't, we don't like it when we can't get in the church house and fellowship together and sing the songs of praise and, and worship you and hear the preaching. And I pray you'll continue to open up the church even further, that we won't have to go through the, the, uh, the stringent things that we're having to do in order to have church. I pray now you'll protect each one who's come from this virus, that there wouldn't be any issues there because of it. And Lord, I pray that you would bless our time we're going to spend here this morning in this passage, in your word. Might you speak to hearts, might you minister to hearts as only you can. And we would certainly pray if there's any who will hear the message this morning who have never come to Jesus Christ and accepted him as his, per, his or her personal Savior, that today would be that day of salvation. I just pray for you to use this time as you see fit. Give me strength of voice and clarity of thought. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I start, one other prayer request. Pray for Elkie. She's going to go and visit a friend who's uh, been put in hospice and uh, doesn't have long, apparently, to be on this earth unsaved. So pray for her. She's going to visit with him this afternoon. Keep her in your prayers. I've titled this, Good Advice for Godly Living. Good Advice for God Godly Living. We have before us this morning a portion of the epistle of Paul the Apostle to the church in the city of Philippi. At the time of this writing, the Apostle Paul, of course, was a prisoner in Rome. And the church at Philippi was one that was very near and dear to his heart. It was established as a result of his brief visit there, along with Silence, his partner in missionary work. Paul had come to Philippi, and we learned that while there, he and Silas were able to win several people to Christ. There was Lydia, a Greek slave girl. Uh, Lydia... There was a Greek slave girl, and there was a jailer and his family that Paul was able to lead to Christ. But while he was there, Paul and Silas were imprisoned overnight, and their stay was cut short. And later, we learned that the same church, the church at Philippi, became a great blessing to Paul and to his ministry as it sent offerings to him to support him. Now, Paul writes to the believers in Philippi, a letter of instruction and encouragement. Several of Paul's epistles are letters of rebuke, letters where he has to deal with problems in the church. But this letter to the church at Philippi isn't that kind of a letter. It's more of a letter of encouragement. And we thank the Lord for what it, what it does. In the text we've read, we find Paul offering some very powerful and very pointed instruction to the Philippians, using himself, as an example, in verse 12, look at verse 12. He says, but I would ye would, should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. So we see here in verse 12 uh, how he's giving instruction. And uh, in, the, in, in that text, we, read, we find Paul offering some very powerful advice. Verse 12, he reveals that he has basically lived for one thing. He had one goal. He had one driving force in his mind. And that was the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 13, he says, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. 
he reveals the desire for his life is, is that his life, his testimony would have an effect, would have an influence, if you will, on those around him, an influence for the Lord. Now, this morning, I submit to you that these two desires of the Apostle Paul ought to be the desires of every believer. Number one, we ought to desire that we would live lives that would focus on spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all commanded to take the gospel to the whole world and to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the othermost parts of the earth. We're called upon to go forth and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things which I've commanded you. These are, these are the commands to the believers, and we have that command. So uh, one of our desires, one of our chief desires ought to be that God would help us to focus on that, that, that requirement that he's put on us. And then the second thing, second desire that we should have is that our lives, our testimony, would influence others for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, I want you to notice with me the example Paul gives us to good advice for godly living. And the first thing we want to notice is Paul's determination. Paul's determination. Look at verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, no, now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Here we find that Paul purposes to live a, a proper life, a life where he wouldn't have to be ashamed, that he says there in nothing I shall be ashamed. To live above reproach is what Paul wants to do. He wants to live what he professed to believe. Paul wants to live a life that's not hypocritical. Can I just say all too often Christians' lives are hypocritical. But Paul's wanting to live a life that he doesn't have to be ashamed of, uh, that, he doesn't, that he's not being a hypocritical type Christian, that he's consistent in his Christian life. He wants to live a clean life, doing his best to say clean from sin. Now, I believe Paul's probably the greatest Christian to ever live. But you know, even Paul battled sin. Romans 7, he tells about it, how he has the old nature, the new nature, and he still has to battle the old nature all the time. And then in one place, he says, Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. So even a great man of God like Paul had to struggle with sin, but he, did, he didn't want to succumb to sin. He wanted to live a clean life, doing his best to stay clean from sin. And he wanted to live in such a way so as to be usable by the Lord. And I thought about 1 Corinthians, go over there for a minute, chapter 9. Paul writes something there I want you to see, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now remember, he wants to live in such a way he's usable by the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, he says this, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now that castaway doesn't mean lose his salvation. That word castaway there means uh, it has the idea of being disapproved or uh, not usable, of no value. And Paul says, I don't want my Christian life to be of no value. 
And I don't want it to be something God disapproves of. I hope uh, you, like me, uh, are, are hoping one day when we die and stand before the Lord, we could hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And uh, I believe that ought to be the goal of every believer. But it's not going to happen unless we live disciplined lives. So Paul purposed here that he's going to live a proper life, and he's going to live so as not to have regrets. Paul regretted his actions prior to salvation in a couple of different places in the New Testament. He talks about how he persecuted the church. And he, he regrets the fact that he ever did that because now he's on the truth side and he understands and he knows. And uh, he had to live with that regret, but he didn't want any more regrets. He persecuted the church. He persecuted Christians. But now he purposes to live so as not to regret his actions as a believer uh, over in First Timothy or Second Timothy chapter 4, I think it is. Yes, it is. 2 Timothy 4. Again, these, these words are written while Paul's in prison. He's coming to the end of his life. And in chapter 4, look at verses 6 and 7 of 2 Timothy. Paul's coming to the end of his life, and he's thinking about his life. And here's what he says. Verse 6, I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Now, to me, that sounds like a man who had no regrets. No regrets in his life for the Lord. You know, I, I don't mean to be a prophet of doom, but we're all aware of this. We're all going to die one day. Are you going to die with regrets? Hmm. Now's the opportunity to change things so that we would not have to die with regrets. And then Paul purposed to live with the judgment seat of Christ in view. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, he talks about uh, appearing before the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, he said, but we all shall appear before the judgment seat of Christ. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, he says, every man shall give an account of himself to God. And so Paul's living with this idea that one day I'm answerable to the Lord. Do you live with that every day? We should. We should remind ourselves day by day, hey, one day I have to give an account for how I live to the Lord. Sometimes when I see Christians' lives, I wonder if they even think about that. When I hear about what Christians are doing or see what Christians are doing, and uh, sometimes I just have to shake my head. Don't they understand that one day they're going to have to give an account? Well, Paul understood that. He knew he'd give an account as a Christian. He didn't want to be ashamed on that day as well. And as believers, we need to determine to live so as not to be ashamed by living proper lives. We should live above reproach. We should live clean Christian lives. We should live clean lives before God Almighty. First and foremost, we ought, to, we ought to live with that realization. God sees and knows everything I say and do. Matter of fact, he goes beyond that. He sees and knows and understands everything I think. Now, you say, you're putting a guilt trip on us. No, I'm just telling you a reality. 
that God is aware and we need to live in such a way that we're not ashamed for God to be aware of what we're thinking and what we're doing. And then we ought to live in such a way that we don't have to be ashamed before other people. Hmm. We, of all people who claim to be saved, who claim to be Christians, who claim to live by the truth of the Word of God, ought to live clean lives. But sadly, I find the opposite is true. All too often, I find Christians who are not living clean, sanctified lives. They're living in the ways of the world. They're following the ways of the world. They're being just like the world. And that's never what God intended for us to do. We need not to be ashamed by living proper lives, and then we need not to be ashamed by being usable by the Lord. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 21, it talks there about vessels unto honor. And what it's talking about there is vessels usable by God. Now, every one of us who's saved is a vessel of God. You understand that? We belong to him. We're his vessels. The question we have to ask ourselves is this. Am I a usable vessel for the Lord? Hmm? Well, what do you mean by that, usable? Well, are you a clean vessel that he can use? Are you an available vessel that he can use? How many coffee drinkers we have in here this morning? God bless you. Amen. The rest of you will come to the truth of it. <clears throat> How many of you have a favorite coffee cup? Yeah, the one you never wash? <laughs> Just kidding. Isn't it terrible when you go for your favorite coffee cup and it's not available? Those are fighting words, aren't they? It's time for coffee, and you know, you stumble to the coffee pot as soon as you get up, and you get there, and now, now your eyes aren't even open. You know where your cup's supposed to be, and you're, and it's not there, and you can't find it. So, so what, what do you do then? It's not there, and you can't find it, and it's coffee time. What are you going to do? You know what you're going to do. You're going to pick another cup. Hmm? You picked another cup because your cup wasn't available. Listen, bring that over in a spiritual life. Are you available for God to use or does he have to go find another vessel? Oh, I just don't feel like God's using me. Maybe you're not available for him to use. Hmm? We need to be clean. I, I, hope, I hope none of you, even though it's your favorite coffee cup, wouldn't use a dirty cup. Hmm? And uh, by the way, let, let me give you a little hint. I learned this when I lived in the South. I'll tell you why in a minute. But before you pour stuff in the cup, look in the cup. Make sure it's clean. I said I learned this when I moved down South because down South they have critters. They call them cockroaches. And, uh, and you don't want to baptize a cockroach in your coffee. So you look to make sure there's nobody in there. Then when it's all clear, you use it. 
Listen, we need to be clean vessels. We need to be available vessels. We need to be vessels fit for the master's use. Paul wanted to be that. How are you doing with that? Hmm. We ought to live in such a way we don't have to regret our lives. I said we need to live with the judgment seat of Christ in full view. So we see Paul's determination that in nothing I shall be ashamed. And then Paul's desire. Paul's desire in the latter part of verse 20 and verse 21. So now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul wants Christ to be magnified in his body whether it's by life or whether it's by death. And then he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul's goal in life was to make much of Jesus. Paul's goal was a notable, uh, daring ambition. By life or by death, he wanted to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ so that a thoughtless world would be forced to observe him. All Paul cared about was magnifying Christ, and he wanted to be an instrument in God's hands for that very purpose. Paul desired to live in such a way that others would see Christ in him and through him. And how would he do that? Well, he would be living the way Jesus lived, living a clean, loving, compassionate life. A few years ago, there was a big push on this WWJD uh, around Christians, and, and that stood, stood for what would Jesus do? And uh, I believe in Paul's life, uh, in the decisions he had to make, that was the question he would always ask himself. He didn't want to live for Paul. He wanted to live for Jesus. And so he asked himself, what would Jesus do? Uh, many years ago, a man named Sheldon wrote a book, uh, In His Steps. And in that book, he, it's about a preacher who challenges his church that in everything they, they say and everything they do for the next couple of weeks to ask that question before they do anything. What would Jesus do? And then follow the steps of Jesus. And listen, that would be a wonderful thing for all of us to do, to begin thinking before we take steps and do things or say things. Uh, what would Jesus do? And then act accordingly. But that's what Paul wanted to do. He wanted to live so Christ could live through him. That was the heartbeat of Paul. Uh, living the way Jesus lived, and by doing what Jesus did. Jesus declared the gospel. Jesus declared God's word. Uh, Jesus called men to salvation, and that's what Paul wants to do with his life. And then by living with eternity in view, not living for this present world. And boy, it becomes so obvious uh, when, when he says this. There, uh, Go back to our text. He says, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I what not, for I am a straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And I would submit to you, we as believers need to live to magnify Christ in our bodies. We do that by living lives that, that would emulate and imitate the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then clean, compassionate, loving lives. And, and by the way, the acrostic uh, for following Jesus 
Joy, J-O-Y. Jesus, then others, then you. Hmm? That's how we ought to live, putting others ahead of ourselves by doing what Jesus would have us to do, spreading the word, declaring Christ as the one and only Savior to people everywhere, and by yielding totally to God's will. Let Christ live through us uh, by living in a, a, a life that, that would glorify and please him. Let Christ live through us. And, you know, I, I, I thought about um, Dr. Livingston, who last century, no, the century before, I guess it was, he went to Africa as a missionary. David Livingston had a burden for the African people. And he gave his life to go into that country and preach in the gospel to those people in that country. And he died in Africa. And they, uh, there was a big, big fuss over where he should be buried, in England, where he was from, or in Africa. And the people in England wanted his body back so they could... Uh, entomb him and make a shrine or whatever. And the people in Africa wanted him there. And I'm told that they settled it, the dispute this way. They buried his heart in Africa and his body in England. Where's your heart today? Is your heart with unsaved people? Do you have a burden to bring people to Christ? Paul sure did. And I thank the Lord for it. And then number three, Paul's dilemma, and we just read it. We saw his determination. We saw his desire to be used of the Lord. But now we see his dilemma, verses 23 through 26. He says he's in a straight. I am in, in a straight betwixt two. That word straight, what that means is Paul is perplexed. He's, he's caught between two decisions. He's, he's under a pressure that doesn't allow a definite choice either way. He's caught between two possibilities. And he mentions here, he has a desire to depart and be with Christ. Paul says, I'm ready to go. He's kind of anxious to go. He says it there, he says, uh, for I'm astray betwixt the two, having a desire to depart, that's interesting language. Death had no terrors for the Apostle Paul. It simply meant departing, and that word departing was used by soldiers, and it meant to take down your tent and move on. And that's all it would be for the Apostle Paul for him to depart. It wouldn't be the end of him. He would be taking down this physical tent that he had been living in and moving on to glory. He's in the strait betwixt two, two, the two. The tent we lived in will be taken down at death, and our spirit goes home to be with Christ in heaven. And Paul's not in love with this world. Actually, he's anxious to leave. That's what he says. He has a desire to depart. Paul's ready to leave this life behind. You know, I was thinking about that, that he's ready to go. And uh, now Mrs. Fiden is already in heaven. And Pastor Fiden is waiting to go. Both of them, in, in the years that we've known them, have been anxious to go. They're ready. Pastor Fiden told us every night his wife used to pray that God would take her home 
Now, contrast that with unsaved people and how fearful they are of death. Hmm. Paul, Paul was not fearful. Paul was looking forward to it. And uh, he's caught in, in this strait. He's anxious to be delivered from the negatives of life. They tell us that, well, as you read Paul's account, his body had to be broken. He had been beaten, I think he said five times, uh, with rods. He had been shipwrecked. He had been in perils. He had been in prison. He had been, his body had suffered all sorts of hardship. And so physically, he must have been, been, been having difficulties and, and some think that he had an eye issue because of some things we find in the Bible. And, uh, but listen, uh, he, he was anxious to be delivered from the negatives of this life. He understood that one day he would leave this earth and go and get a new body. And it wouldn't be broken and it wouldn't be uh, hindered. And that's, that's the blessing of each one of us. If you're saved, one day we're going to leave this world. We're going to get a new body. Paul says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that quick. If, listen, it would be wonderful to, to be here when the rapture takes place. Hmm? Be great just, just to not have to go by way of the undertaker or any of that grief and, and all that death brings, just to gone. And then to meet some people on the way up. You ever get that part of that promise? Those who, who have died are going to be caught up together with us. We're going to be reunited with some people. Hmm. That's going to be a blessing. And we'll go to be with him forever with the Lord. Well, Paul was looking forward to that. And he was looking forward to that time when, when he'd be released from the, the confines of, of, of this tent and put on immortality. But then he recognizes something else. Though he's ready, though he's looking for it, he recognizes there's a need for him to stay. The Philippians need him to stay. He says there, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh, in verse 24, is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Paul's saying there's still more work to be done with you folks and for you folks. There's still more souls to be saved. There's still more preaching and teaching needed. And while Paul suffered greatly in this life, he was yielded to God's will, therefore being willing to stay longer to do God's work and will. I thought about that, and I thought about how as believers, we ought to yearn for heaven. This life is going to be brief, we need, to, we need to live in such a way that whenever God decides, we're ready to let loose of it. Hmm? We need to be anxious to be freed from all the negatives of this life. And I've said before, I'll say it again, the older you get, the more anxious you get. Hmm? Because these old bodies wear out. What you, what you used to be able to do, can't do anymore. Hmm? 
And of course, now we have the eyeglasses and the dentures and the, all the artificial parts. Hmm? And we know that one day we're going to get a body we won't need any of that. A glorified body. And so we look forward to that. We need to be anxious to be free from the negatives. Look over at Revelation 21. Here's what's waiting for us. Revelation 21, 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. That's what's awaiting us. What well, kind of makes you anxious to go, doesn't it? No more pain, no more sorrow, uh, no more uh, uh, corona- coronavirus. Hmm? We need to live every day ready to go, and we need to live every day like it might be our last because we never know when it will be. Hmm? And let me, let me say this. Uh, I'm not just saying that to older people. It applies to younger people as well. Young people die. Middle-aged people die. Old people die. Death is common across uh, all aspects of life. And we don't know. Uh, I, during this, this virus thing, how often have we heard of people who were strong and healthy and they got the virus and in two weeks they were gone? Hmm? We need to live every day like it could be our last day because it may well be. And then notice this, Paul's demand. There's a demand here. Verses 27 through 30. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. Paul reveals three essentials now for believers. Number one, consistency in the Christian life. Verse 27, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. That ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The verb Paul uses here, is related to our word politics. And he says, uh, I want you to behave the way citizens are supposed to behave, is what he's saying. I want you to behave the way citizens should behave. And he's, he's, what he's doing is emphasizing the idea that believers are citizens of heaven. And we should live like citizens of heaven. Now, now remember, Paul's writing in Roman times. 
And right now, this city of Philippi that he's writing to where this church is, is a colony of Rome. What that means is Rome sent a bunch of people there and they established this city. And now it's a Roman city. And these believers are living in that Roman city. And, and, and as citizens of that city. And so Paul's using that as an example, saying, hey, just like you're, you're living in a, in a Roman city uh, here as a citizen, but you're not in Rome, you're actually a citizen of heaven, and you should be living like a citizen of heaven. Our citizenship, but if you're saved, you have a dual citizenship. You're the citizens of here and now, and you're a citizen in heaven. Your place is already reserved for you. And he wants them to understand that. The church of Jesus Christ is a colony of heaven here on earth. And we need to live like it. And then Paul reveals that the believer's life must become the gospel of Christ. And become their means to be appropriate for the, for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Believers need to live lives that are appropriate for a person who claims to be a Christian. I'm going to say that again. Believers are called upon to live lives that are appropriate for those who call themselves Christians. Appropriate. That when people see how you live and see what you do and what you don't do, they would say, that's the appropriate life for a Christian. Believers are to live such lives and they're to live them consistently. Paul says here, whether he comes personally or not, he says he wants to find them living consistently for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice this, he says there ought to be cooperation. He says with one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith. That striving together, there is an athletic term. And Paul there is picturing the church as a team. And he reminds them of the necessity of teamwork if the team's to be successful. Satan seeks to cause division in the church. Strife and division rob the church of its power. Listen, if you want a team to be successful, it's got to be in unity. They all got to be striving for the same goals. I like to watch football. And you know, if that whole football team isn't on the same page, they're not going to be successful. They got to cooperate with one another. You know, that lineman can't go up to the line and say, well, they won't let me carry the ball, so I'm not going to block this time. Team won't be successful. The uh, wide receiver can't say, well, they're not throwing the ball to me this time, so I'm not going to run. No, everybody has to cooperate in order to be successful. And everybody has a part to fulfill. We need to fulfill our part. Ask yourself this question. What part of the team of the church am I fulfilling? Hmm? We're a team. And we can only function uh, to, the, to the best of the ability of, 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 of your wanting to be a part of the team. We need to cooperate. And Paul says that to them. Somebody said many years ago, there's no I in team. 
Hmm. The enemy is always happy to cause internal division in a local ministry. Divide and conquer is his motive. Far too often he has his way. It's only as believers stand together that they can overcome the wicked one. And then one final thing. Notice Paul demands consistency, cooperation, and confidence. Verses 28 and 30. As Christians, we're to expect battles. Say that again. As Christians, we are to expect battles and opposition. In verse 28, he says, And nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. Expect trouble. And we're not to be terrified by our enemies. That speaks of a horse shying away from battle. That's not how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to stand firm and fast. Why can we be confident? Because these battles are proof that we're saved. Have you ever figured this out? We hate the devil comes at us and and keeps working on us. But, you know, there's a positive side to that. And that's this. When he's working on you, it indicates you're a child of God. Well, how so? He don't have to go after them out there. He don't have to be trying to hinder them and disrupt them and do all the dirty tricks to, to them that he does to us. He's already got them. So the fact that he attacks us makes it more clear that we're a threat to him. When you got saved, he understood he can't take you to hell. And so his next best effort is to try to ruin you for Christ. Don't let him win that battle. Amen. Confidence. Why can we be confident? Number one, because these battles just prove we belong to him. And number two, these battles are a privilege given to us. He says, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. When we suffer as a Christian and for Christian virtues, we're suffering for him and for his sake. All believers must fight the same battles. In verse 30, he says, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul says to them, hey, I have the same battles, and you have the same battles, and we need to be confident. So let's wrap this up. Here's the conclusion. Are you living in such a way as a believer so as to influence others for Christ? Will you take the advice of the Apostle Paul this morning and change those things in your life that need changed? Good advice for godly living. Once again, I believe Paul was one of the greatest Christians to ever live. And if anybody could give good advice for godly living, I believe it's him. We've seen some this morning. The question is, will you heed it? Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. I wonder how many, how many believers in this room would say, Preacher, God spoke to me today. God spoke to my heart through the preaching of the word. I want you to know that. Here's my hand. Would you slip it up high? God bless you. God bless you. God spoke to me today, preacher. God bless you. I wonder how many would say, preacher, God spoke to me about something in my life needs to change. 
and I'm making a decision today. I'm going to change it. Here's my hand. Would you hold it up high? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else, you can put your hands down. God spoke to me this morning about something that needs to change in my life, something I need to start doing or something I need to stop doing. I'm making that decision today. Here's my hand. You can put it down. Let me ask this question. Are you saved today? When I say that, I mean, has there been a time in your life where you've opened your heart to Jesus Christ and invited him into your heart and into your life to be your Savior? Have you realized you're a sinner and you're on your way to hell and the only way that you can escape that is to come to Jesus and believe on him? I wonder if there's somebody here in that situation today. If there is right there right now where you're sitting, would you offer 